What's going on, everyone? It's Cole Cruz, and welcome back to the KC at the Movies podcast. We've uh, we've taken a bit of a break, and uh, unintentionally, unintentionally, uh, once again. But uh, I was again. I'm, work- I'm still working on the After Sun podcast. It's uh, it's it seems to be taking up more time than it I thought it would be. Um, just everything attached to it is is uh, it, it's pretty heavy to talk about all, all of that stuff. Um, considering what I've been through, and uh, yeah, I it, it will be coming out. It will be coming out. It's just going to take a little longer than expected because you know I'm I'm thinking about you know full on diving into the movie and everything and and having my first foray into doing that. Um, and. It's, yeah, I think it just needs more time. It just needs more time. I, but I also thought it was, it's been way too long since the last one. I think the last podcast we had was when I talked about the Oscars. And that was back in March. So, you know, it's been a few months and I think it's time to, you know, finally come back and put something out there. And there's been a lot of movies that have come out since then as well. So I think it's uh, hard time we talk about them. So we're going to be talking about a couple of movies today. We're going to be talking about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, give my thoughts on that. Um, and we're going to be talking about The Flash and a particular television show um, made by Sam Levinson and uh, The Weeknd, Abel Tesfaye. So strap yourselves in, uh, grab a drink, grab a snack, or if you're you know, just enjoying your drive, just, uh, just keep driving along and... Uh, Lendonier, because uh, we're going to be talking about The Idol first up, and uh, this is the new HBO television series uh, created by The Weeknd. It really is his brainchild, and um, he has employed one Sam Levinson to help him bring his vision to the screen, and Sam Levinson, as you guys know, is the guy behind that crazy show, uh, Euphoria. Um, He also... Uh, made this uh, really underrated movie that I really love called Assassination Nation. That was before he went crazy with that Malcolm Marie stuff. <laughs> we, don't, we, don't, we don't talk about that. Um, yeah, so uh, this is a show about a pop star named Jocelyn who's also played by uh, Lily Rose Depp. There's a lot of uh, cast members in this show that I would, was not expecting. Uh, for example, Rachel Sanit is in this show as well. And yeah, it, it's about Jocelyn and um, I think... It's believed that she's having a world tour coming up and she's not really sure about her music. She's having a lot of identity crisis and she meets this uh, person, this club owner named Tedros, played by The Weeknd, played by Abel, who is a little weirder than usual. Um, his, his, I guess his techniques are unorthodox and people have their feelings and thoughts and feelings about this show, I'll tell you that. Um, so this this show actually premiered its first two episodes at the uh, Cannes Film Festival back in May, and there was a lot of extreme reaction to that when it when it was released. Uh, there was walkouts, there was boos, there was. Uh, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not sure if there was boos. I'm pretty sure there was, but um, there always really is some like extreme reaction at these festivals to um, these premieres like this. But it was mostly negative uh, coming out of the Cannes Film Festival, and. Um, the weekend has since released statements talking about how this is what the show is supposed to be. This is what, um, you know, this is what he wants to portray. This is the art, and uh, I think we can only judge it by its art and not the, you know, I, I try to look at things. I try to when it comes to when it comes to shows like this, I try to just look at the show itself and judge it by you know by the show itself and the art itself, not everything surrounding it. But that being said. I do want to jump into a few other things, um, specifically the weekend's character Tedros and uh, the history of the production, which I find pretty fascinating. So yeah, I'm going to start talking about Tedros, the character, the the character in the show that everyone really has their pitchforks up about, and uh, also is looking at the weekend, thinking, "What a scoundrel! What a disgusting man!" <laughs> because this that is most of the reaction coming out of the show. It's like this is disgusting. This is you know male gazy it's it's gross it's um and I, when, i'll be honest when i saw the trailer i did think a little bit like that but also i was like look i'll wait till the show comes out watch it within its full context and uh see how i feel about it because the end of the day i just want to look at the art and i want to see how i feel about the art not um not uh, the circumstances surrounding it this is the one thing that i don't understand when it comes to the rage coming towards this show people are really upset 
about The Weeknd playing this really vile, disgusting character, um, Tedros. He's a he's a club owner in the show. He's a bit of a cult leader. It's, it's a Zoom show. I've only seen the first two parts. There are currently, as of the time of this recording, three parts of the uh, six-part series um, out. And I haven't seen the third part yet, but there, there, are, there are two parts out at the moment. And these are also the parts that premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. And uh, yeah, people are not happy about this character. They're like, this is cringe. This is gross. Um, what is The weekend doing? And what I am failing to understand is people's reaction to this. Because The weekend has kind of always been like this. If you listen to his music, especially, you know, going back to like, uh, you know, his House of Balloons days, um, he's always been talking about all this stuff and all of this, you know, sexual depravity and um, topics and themes related to that. Um, It's all spread throughout his whole discography. I mean, listen to um, Often from uh, The Beauty Behind the Madness, listen to Escape to LA from After Hours, which is literally about having sex in a music studio. And listen to the lyrics about <laughs> about what he's saying in those songs. And then when you, when you see this type of, the same type of like words in a context of a television show, or in this case, just like, you know, a, a visual piece of art, it it goes the other way. Like, people are offended by it, and people are having this really extreme reaction to it. Whereas when they listen to it within a song, it's like, oh, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fine. He's hot. He's so hot. Um, I, I've never gotten that about The weekend. I mean, I think it's just, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I'm a fan of The weekend because, yeah, he's singing and, you know, his, his talent and... I've never really thought... I, I thought the lyrics have been interesting, but I've never thought like, God, that's sexy. <laughs> you know, what I've listened to, uh, what he's been singing about. It's always about like, you know, fucking sexual depravity, cheating on your uh, on your girlfriend, cheating on your partner, um, running around, having orgies, having sex, drugs, all that stuff. It's always like... I think pretty much all of his albums have always been about that. I'm going all the way back to House of Balloons and uh, especially back in House of Balloons. But um, I mean, look at look at Dawn FM again. It's it's again. Um, how can I make you? How can I make you love me? Is one of the songs from that. It's 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 always about this forbidden love with him and and uh, and it's it's the same thing with Tedros and the character. It's just that Tedros has a rat tail and looks fucking disgusting. So I just think that's really fascinating how we can. Different words can mean different things when put into a in, into a uh, completely different artistic context, and how people will take that, because it's literally the same as what he's been singing about, and that's the, <laughs> that's just what I I'm I'm kind of struggling with. I'm just like well, I don't know what people are going on about. Like this is look at the lyrics to this song here. Like you know, point to any of his song in his discography. Look and look at the lyrics of that. And that's no different from what he's saying, especially in episode two when he's talking to Jocelyn about, you know, you know, threading a pussy or something. Like, he's fucking the dude's always been singing about this. <laughs> yeah, so that's the weekend out of the way. I mean, Tedros, yeah, he, you're supposed to hate him. He's a vile character, um, but I don't know. Like, that's part of the. I mean, he is, I guess he's one of the best parts of the show, you know, when you talk about, I guess, this pull to it. I think it's the, that is more of the pull to the show. And that's what's getting getting, getting everyone's attention is uh, definitely Tedros as a character. But what I wanted to talk about, what I found really interesting was uh, the history of the production of the show. Um, there's this great Rolling Stone article called um, The Idol, How HBO's Next Euphoria Became Twisted Torture Porn. And it talks about how the the production history of the show and what, what it went through and all the different changes that happened. Because, yes, this has always been The Weeknd's brainchild. This, is always, this has always been his creative project. And he originally brought on uh, Amy Simons to help him tell the story and help him direct the episodes, um, to direct all the episodes. And um, what ended up happening was just the classic that they had creative differences and 
The Weeknd wanted one thing and Amy Simons wanted another thing. And I think it's, it is, well, I don't think it's been said that he kicked her off the show because it got too of, of too much of a female gaze to it. And again, I find that interesting. But so that's not the story he wanted to tell and that's not the way he wanted to tell it. So she got kicked off the project. And then later on in production, they brought on Sam Levinson. Uh, you know, why not bring on the guy that made that fucked up high school drama? <laughs> and look, it's Euphoria is not just that. I know it's not just that, but it's just, yeah, it's very uh, interesting how um, he was uh, brought on like that. And then the show dramatically changed uh, to something more of a different beast than what it originally was. And there's a lot of reports, and these are just sources and reports, so I'm not taking this with a grain of salt. I always took this with a grain of salt. Sources and reports of people calling the set, like, grueling, again, torture porn. It's just softcore porn. It's just, like, a bunch of shit happening. Unprofessional. But then when you talk to people that, you know, like Lily Rose Depp, for example, uh, she said that Levinson was wonderful to work with, was a great director, was very clear and communicative. And again, it's just a he said, she said kind of thing. And that's why I'm taking all of this um, hubbub around the history of production with a grain of salt. Because, I mean, I, I don't take the Hamey Simon stuff with a grain of salt, but I take all the kind of sources said, sources from the production said, like, I always take that with a grain of salt. Um, that being said, having seen the show now, both the first two episodes, I would have liked... And I would have been interested in seeing that version that Simons had pitched to uh, The weekend because, yeah, this is pretty much a pop star euphoria. This is what I'm, I, I pretty much see it as, just a pop star euphoria. And um, I think, again, we'll, we'll talk about that when I talk about the actual show, but um, I think it can be much more than that. And Having only seen, I think, I've only seen She Dies Tomorrow from Amy Simons, and as much as I didn't like that film, I thought it was pretty experimental, and I thought it was uh, interesting, to say the least. It, was, it wasn't completely boring. There were some parts, I, I think I talked about in my, my review, that uh, it, it, I didn't really like, but most of the time, I thought it was an, at least an interesting debut from Simons. So, I wonder if we would have got a, a little bit more of that flavor and again, topped with the uh, more of a female gaze with uh, this show. So yeah, history production, pretty interesting. But let's take a look at the show itself because th at the end of the day, this is what I want to you know um, look at and examine, which is it's, it's the show itself and how it comes across and how it uh, tells its story. So I've seen, as, as I said, I've seen the first two episodes of the show. Um, I thought the pilot was interesting, to say the least. There was nothing to really hook me, but I was like, okay, I'll put on the next one. But then we had to wait another week. <laughs> um, but then the second episode, again, there was still really nothing there. It was just some cool scenes. It was really, It's really well shot, again, by um, uh, Marcel Rev. If it, I think it lacks the creativity at the moment. It lacks the creativity that Euphoria had with it, within its um, visuals. And it just looks like it's just been shot really nicely. That's about it. Um, I think Lily Rose Depp is fine. I uh, Again, I don't think she's a revelation or anything like that, but I just think she plays the role fine. Um, yeah, I think the most interesting part of the show is uh, Tedros. And um, as much as I think he's like the grossest thing ever, <laughs> one of the grossest characters on screen, um, I've seen much worse, but, um, much as I think he is, you know, pretty gross, it's every time it's on screen, it's at least interesting. It's, uh, cause I think everything surrounding that, like her manager and, um, uh, I don't know what kind of parts they're playing, but I think a manager, I think the other one is just like her pub PR manager. Um, there, there's just like. I think my main problem is, is there's just nothing really to sink your teeth into yet. And uh, it's not really that captivating and compelling. Um, I think the second episode was a little better than the first one. But I mean, for a six-part series, 
and there's only there's two parts out now. There's the three parts out now, but the, the two parts I've seen, I have I'm not really finding a strong urge to recommend this to anyone or saying it's worth their time because it's kind of just, you know, hate to say it, hate to use a not very filmic term, but it's kind of mid. It's a kind of mid show, and uh, it's just yeah, it's it's just it's not as compelling as I I think this story could be and the way it's been told. And that's why I am interested in in seeing a world where maybe Simon's got her way and and uh, we got to see her version of it. Now, that being said, her version could have been bad as well. Her, her version... That being said, her version also could have been not as compelling and, and uh, not as good. But uh, I think at this point, I'd be interested in seeing that then... Continuing with this vision for this show, um, it's only six parts, so I think I'll still watch it and see how I feel about the end because I think an end can make or break it for me. Um, but you know, you're making a six-part show and you're not hooking the audience in in the second episode. You've got only got four parts to really, you've like really only got four more episodes to hook them in. Um, you know, something crazy in episode three could have happened that, like I, you know might have missed but at this point i'm just kind of just like well like it's i guess it's fun <laughs> it's fine um but there's nothing really there's nothing really to just like take from this nothing really to take it's just a story told about a pop star who's having a hard time um and she's met a cult leader who is trying to bring her voice out and there's just a lot of scenes of the weekend and Lily rose depp just Fucking <laughs> straight fucking, and uh, yeah, at the moment, there's just there's not a lot of uh, at the moment, it's all uh, style and no substance. So, that's my thoughts on the first two episodes of The Idol and uh, everything you know surrounding it. Um, let me know what you thought about it. Are you watching The Idol? Um, let me know and yeah, I'll continue watching the show and seeing where it goes and seeing hopefully if it, if it, it can improve or, um, get more, you know, something happens, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but judging from the reviews of episode three and whatever I thought episode three, maybe won't be the case. Again, I'll see for myself and make up my own mind, but, uh, yeah, um, that's it. So the idol. It's it's fine. It, it's fine. It's not as fucking bad as everyone says it is. I mean, I think it's because I've seen a lot more worse things and worse is objectively, not just subjectively. Um, but, you know, it's it's just, it's, I don't know. I think it's pretty fucking, I think it's ridiculous, the reaction. It's overblown. Anyway, moving on to a much better piece of art, I think, and one of the best fucking pieces of art ever I've ever seen is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. This is the sequel to the 2018 film Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which were introduced to Miles Morales and his multiverse of Spider-Man. And in Across the Spider-Verse, Miles is recruited by the people at the Spider-HQ along um, because of uh, Gwen Stacy... But when he decides that he wants to handle the new worldly threat in a different way to what everyone else is feeling, he finds himself tangled and pitted against all the other spider people. And he's got to set it on his own, make his own life and destiny and save the ones that he cares for most. So, yeah, a lot to chew on there. A lot to chew on with that plot. Um, and it is a lot. Look, it is a, it is a lot, this movie. Um, but... This movie is just, I, I it was jaw-dropping. I was absolutely, incredibly astonished with the craft and the, just the, the art. That's all I can say is just art. When I saw the reviews saying, they're calling it, this is literally a piece of art. This is a piece of art. Like, this is... Every single shot in this movie, I could have framed up on my wall, just like with Blade Runner 2049 and um, other notable films where people have had that same reaction. Um, 
I literally could fucking put any single shot of this up on a wall because the animation styles, what I really love about this movie is how seamless the animation styles blend with with each other when we visit the other different worlds and when we um, encounter all the different spider people. Um, I especially loved Mombarton with uh, Indian Spider-Man. I loved uh, Spider-Punk's art style um, made from like, I got like uh, Sex Pistols album cover vibes from uh, his art style and like posters in Camden Town and stuff like that. Um, and I've never been to Camden Town. This is just based on the media that I've seen. <laughs> but uh, that's what I got from him. I really liked uh, Daniel Kaluuya's. Um, I loved hearing his uh, British accent. It's always great hearing that. And um, everyone's just just fantastic in this movie. Everyone is fantastic. The fucking movie flies by. Only It's like two hours and 26 minutes. But the whole movie just flies by. And then before you know it, you're at the end and then you're wanting part two, which hopefully is coming out uh, March next year. I think they did make these back-to-back, so we, that might be still truth. As long as there's no delays, we're probably getting that next March, which is good. We don't have to wait as long because we go, do get a bit of a Dune situation with this movie and, uh, you know, the story is kind of left on a, on a, uh, on a thread, but... I would argue that it's this is still a complete film. I think when it comes to character arcs, because yes, I think I don't think Miles' arc is as complete yet. But this movie starts and ends with Gwen Stacy, Spider Gwen, played by Haley Steinfeld, and I think it was a wise choice to do this with um, her character, considering that miles story looks like it's going to take up both of parts of of this um of this entry like the, this film and the third film it looks like this is going to be miles story so i thought it was a wise choice and an interesting choice to tell a other story another story from another character's perspective that of uh, gwen stacy and it was really cool to see her opening and to see her closing and i would argue that we did get a full character arc with gwen stacy and uh her plight and, uh, you know, her, you know, her main kind of, uh, wants and needs. Um, I loved her art style, her world. I think it was, I think her world was my favorite. The watercolors, the the colors changing with the emotions of the characters and how they were feeling and how alive that felt and how different it was. Um, there's one particular shot when, uh, I think it's, uh, Captain Stacy is gone to the dance where the, uh, Gwen's, Peter has turned into the lizard and he's pointing the gun at her. And I think she is Spider-Gwen in that moment, but he's pointing the gun at her and it's this beautiful wide shot. It's like a painting, man. I could hang that up on my fucking wall. It's a beautiful, 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 beautiful shot. I goddamn love it. And yeah, I really, really loved her world. The attention to detail there, uh, the attention to detail of all these universes were was just incredible. The scene where they are um, having that conversation upside down and everything in that scene is almost like, you know, they're upside down. You know, even the eyebrows, the attention to detail of the eyebrows that, that they, would, they would look hanging upside down. Um, you know, it's not just the hair, it's not just the clothing and everything like that. It's, it's, it's everything has been paid close attention to when it comes to uh, this film. Um, it was really cool to see the inclusion of live action um, stuff as well. And, uh, you know, Insomniac Spider-Man was there as well. That was really cool. And look, I would be remiss and I'll be breaking a lot of hearts if I didn't talk about Miguel O'Hara played by Oscar Isaac, uh, Spider-Man 2099, because he is also a big part of this film. Um, He's not just a thirst trap, but he is also a big part of this film and a big reason why Miles wants to try and change his destiny because Miguel believes that these things that happen to these spider people are all canon events and they can't be changed. They all need to play out in order for these people to survive in order to them to, you know, to receive their titles as Spider-Man. And Miles Morales, I thought, again, was another interesting um, choice to make him an anomaly. He was not supposed to be the person that was supposed to be bit by that spider. And, 
again, it just brings so much dimension and depth to these characters now and a more of, you know, these stakes become even more exciting and, and, uh, yeah, I was just, I was just so blown away by, by not just the visuals, not just the technicality and, um, you know, everything surrounding all of that with the technical side. It was the script as well. I, I thought the script was really, really well done. And um, all the choices made with the characters as well, um, including that um, last final uh, moment of the film. Uh, but what I really want to bring up as well is the voice acting, because it's just night and day compared to something like we just got the Super Mario Brothers movie back in um, April, April, right? And um, it's fucking night and day when you compare genuine good voice acting to just celebrity voice acting. And what my biggest main problem with the Mario Super Mario Brothers movie is as much as I love these actors and um, especially Anya Taylor-Joy, who I thought was the weakest part of the movie is Peach. It just sounds like it's Anya Taylor-Joy, you know, just uh, talking into a microphone. It just sounds like Chris Pratt. I mean, he was the main focus and the main kind of criticism before even the movie came out of him just talking into a microphone as Chris Pratt, as Mario. And yeah, you do get a lot of that. And that's really how I felt a lot with Super Mario Bros. movie. As much as I thought it was sometimes fun and pointing out the Easter eggs, a very hollow, pretty hollow film. Compared to this, where there is so much love and thought put into everything, and the voice acting is just phenomenal. Shamik Moore as Miles Morales, Hayley Steinfeld as Gwen Stacy, Brian Tyree Henry as Miles' father, Luna Lauren Velez as uh, Miles' mother, Jake Johnson, Oscar Isaac, Jason Schwartzman as The Spot. He was just incredible, man. And I haven't even mentioned The Spot yet. One of the best villains in the whole Spider-Man universe. Like, again, such a awesome choice to make him not just, like, to have him be this kind of red herring of, like, oh, he's a villain of the week. And then, no, he becomes the main villain of this entire story. And I find him, like, so compelling as, as a villain. So compelling. Um, again, Daniel Kaluuya as uh, Spider-Punk. Karen Sony as Spider-Man India. I could go on and on. Um, it was really cool to hear Amanda Stamberg as, uh, I think it was uh, Spider-Bite. I think she was the cyber spider. That was the VR um, spider. I loved them all. T-Rex Spider-Man. He's great. I didn't even know who voiced him, but he's great. Um, the Lego part of the... Uh, of the world as well, which was created by a 14-year-old, which I thought was really interesting. Created by a 14-year-old. He he made, I think he made some sort of short on YouTube and um, Christopher Lord and Phil Miller brought him on to animate that entire sequence when uh, they go to the, I think it was Spot that goes to the the Lego world uh, in the movie. Um, Andy Samberg, I thought was great as um, uh, the Scarlet Spider. Yeah, man, this movie was incredible. This movie is absolutely fucking incredible. I think it's my favorite movie of the year so far. Um, I would, I'm against everyone who is saying this is not a complete film. I still think it's a complete film, while being a great part one to this uh, two-parter, um, you know, five-hour movie that I, I really can't wait to just sit down and watch this whole five-hour experience or you know, five and a half-hour experience, whatever. It, needs to be, because we don't even know the, the runtime of the next one, but goddamn, this is how you do a multiverse, um, you know, pay attention Marvel, pay attention DC, because we're going to be talking about The Flash in a second, uh, this is how you do a multiverse, this is how you make it exciting, it's it's more or less about, I, I what I love about the decision with this multiverse, it's, it's always about its characters, yes, you get the cameos here and there, you get the fun, but at the center of all of this, it's about Miles and Gwen. And mostly Miles, but with this movie, Gwen, um, it's about their plot. It's about their fucking story. It's not just the multiverse's story. It's their story. And um, that is what I love about this movie. I cannot recommend this movie more enough. Um, Jesus Christ, go see it. Just go see it on the big screen. I'm sorry if there's only a lot of spoilers throughout this review, but I was just I just got carried away and I started talking about it. So I'm, I'm sorry if there was spoilers throughout. It's been out for a few weeks now as well, and I, I mean, I would hope you've seen it by now. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, just 
What what are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, go find the nearest cinema. See it on the biggest screen possible with some great sound. Um, and with the sound mixing as well, I think that's been fixed up. I did get a bit of the sound mixing issue because we went and saw it on day one. So I got a bit of the sound mixing issue. But I believe Sony has sent out a new uh, version of the film where the sound mixing has been fixed. So good shit. Love it. Moving on to shit. Uh, the Flash. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this movie's out. This movie is a thing. It is a real thing that is happening. It's currently playing in theaters, and uh, you can watch it. This was uh, directed, supposed to be directed by uh, Rick from Ayua, uh, the guy behind uh, Dope from 2015, which I thought was uh, which I thought was good, and had Shamik Moore in it. So a little crossover there. Uh, but Rick didn't do this one. Andy Muschietti did this one, the uh, director of Mama and both It films. And this stars Ezra Miller, known criminal. Uh, (laughs) It's Barry Allen, uh, The Flash. And I I did not like this movie. Um, I, I, I really... Didn't like it. It's it, it's it, look. It's a goddamn shame that this came out straight after Spider Verse because when you compare the two, man, it's like a, it's like a it's like a burger from McDonald's compared to like like a fucking five star meal at a you know at a at a five star Michelin restaurant. Like it's Jesus Christ, man. Like. I just wanted to. I mean, this was playing on a on a, on a cheap Tuesday, so I went and saw an early screening of this on on the thirteenth, and I, I I wish I got my money back. <laughs> I don't normally say that about movies that I go see, um, but man, I thought this was a complete waste of time and a complete waste of money. It's so boring at times. Um, I, I thought there was going to be like, you know, a little bit of fun of this, especially given the reactions coming out of um, CinemaCon and uh, even p- people that I really like on YouTube and, and respect on YouTube. Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying that I don't respect them anymore, but like them saying that it was actually a really good movie. I, I couldn't, I just couldn't believe that for a second. And like they have got to be from, and I said in my fucking letterbox review, but they've got to be from Krypton because... This is far, far from it, far from it. And um, look, there are some cool moments throughout the movie. Uh, I thought the score at times by Benjamin Wolfish was, you know, pretty exciting—a nice little um, synthy score. But other than that, it, this movie is just a manic mess of a film. It, it, there is so much going on. It's trying to be like three movies in one. Um, is this trying to be a Batman movie? Is it trying to be a multiverse movie? Is it trying to be a Flash movie? And the people saying the Flash stuff is the best part about this movie. It's like, yeah, but like, we really don't get much of it. A lot of the time is spent with bringing back these cameos and 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 focusing on Michael Keaton's character and focusing on Sasha Kaye's character as Supergirl. There's so many like uneven performances. Look. No, I don't think Ezra Miller is good in this movie. I'm sorry. I just don't think he is. I, it's it's not me looking at what he's doing in his real life. That should be nothing, um, you know, that shouldn't be judged by that with his performances. But if his performance was good, I would say it was good. And I'll be lying to you if I said that because I don't think his performance is good in this movie. Um, there's a tone that's just all over the fucking place. Um, there's shoddy CGI. It looks fucking god-awful at times. And there are so many flat action sequences throughout that it's just, it's just, and, and bad wigs, baffling, absolutely baffling. Some of the decisions made with this, um, you know, I love James Gunn, but when he was saying that like, this is the movie to fix everything up and change everything. And I was, no, this is not, even when you left with that question of how is this going to reset everything, how it's going to make um, you know, everything going forward be this new thing. Bro, no. That that is not what is what's going on here. We're not even fucking I'm not I'm just gonna spoil it. We're we're not getting answered. That question is not getting answered. Um there's just a fun little wink at the end, just like he's in the wrong universe again. Like and it's just a shitty fucking cameo. Again. 
This movie relies on nostalgia and cameos, and that, I think, is the most shallow part about it. It's just so shallow, so hollow, so just soul-sucking that there's just no fun and enjoyment out of it because, there's again, there's no substance to any of these characters or any of these films. Sasha Kaye, uh, Supergirl, and Michael Keaton's Batman from 1989, their characters are brought in just to fucking die. That's it. Just to die. It's, it's all doesn't matter because they're going to die anyway. Um, and that CGI sequence with the Speed Force was just, oh my God, it was just shards in my eyes, glass shards in my eyes. Um, I do like when I first saw it and, and, and I thought its take was um, pretty cool. But then after that, when you constantly are getting it and then when you're left with that sequence with all the other events happening and, um, you know, all of the events colliding, the multiverse is colliding. It just looked like a fucking PS2 game. It it just you can't. I'm not saying that my your expectations should be high, but like, really, when you get something like Spider Verse, especially the week beforehand, or when you get something like, fuck it, even Endgame, and that you know that that's full of like you know crowd pleasing moments and and cameos and stuff like that. But there's still, I think, and Infinity War, I still think there is you know. A story there, and and characters to care about, but it's just like there's nothing here. It's not funny. It's not fun. It's just fucking. It's a waste of time and money, and that is the worst thing I think a movie can be. As long as being as well as being really fucking boring, when a movie wastes my time and money, that's when it really affects me. So that's how I felt about the Flash. I didn't like it. I'll never watch it again. And um, I, I hope James Gunn Superman is going to be good because DC, man, they are dead in the water. Dead in the fucking water at this point. Um, the, I mean, at least the DCEU. They're, they're fucking dead in the water. Ben Affleck wants to fucking... He wants to get out of here. He looks like he just wants to fucking leave. He doesn't want to be here anymore. He just wants to leave. The man wants to go make that deep water movie with fucking Anna Diamonds. He wants to make air, you know? He just wants to make air. He was there on set. He's off to go make his other movie. He doesn't give a fuck. Fuck it. Gal Gadot shows up as Wonder Woman at one point. And then they do the same fucking Lasso of Truth gag they've done three fucking times now in the DCU. It's just fucking lazy, man. It's just fucking lazy. And such a disrespect to audiences, I think. it's. And look, you can talk about fan service. I'm like, I've always been okay with fan service. It's fine. But when you rely, when you completely rely on nostalgia and cameos, what what... What worth is your art then? Like, what worth is it? Um, should be called. I, I agree with a review I saw on um, uh, Letterboxd. It's the trash. It's the trash. Um, yep. Thought it was shit. Don't fucking watch it. Uh, to be blunt, that's how I felt about the Flash. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> moving on to a segment I'm really excited about. Really excited about. Now, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is coming out very soon. Very soon. And uh, I am very excited about it. Uh, I love the Mission Impossible franchise. Um, I love Tom Cruise. I don't... I, I, he's, he's, he's a nuts man. He's a Scientologist. Don't agree with any of that stuff. But the man loves making movies. I love his dedication to his craft. And how much enjoyment he has making movies. And that is something I can really get behind as a passionate person about film myself. And these movies, they are some of the best action movies ever fucking made. So why wouldn't you like, wouldn't, why would an action junkie like this series? It's the best. I fucking love it. It's, it's on par. I'd say it's on par with John Wick, Maybe perhaps a bit better. I mean, to be fair, there's now seven, well, there'll be seven films now with uh, in the Mission Impossible franchise where there's only four in the John Wick franchise. But just like John Wick, like all of these stunts are real. Tom Cruise is really doing all of this. And uh, 
it always is so exciting, gripping, entertaining, and uh, blood pumping is is a word I'd, is a is a you know a phrase I'd use definitely. Um, so what I'm doing is over the next few weeks with these podcasts, I'm going to be talking about the Mission Impossible films. Uh, we're going to be talking about two at a time. I think that's how it would, would go. Because um, what is there now? Is there two, three weeks until July 10th? Yeah, I think there's like a couple, a few weeks. So, you know, they'll. Um, I'm not sure when they'll come out, but they'll definitely. All of these podcasts will come out before of the before the film because I'll just find some of the movies to talk about. And um, yeah, we're going to be talking about Mission Impossible. So um, we're going to be going through all of the movies and discussing them, how I feel about them, because each and every one is different, except when you get to the Macquarie films and then they're pretty much all of the same. Uh, I mean, the plots are different and, and, and more, you know, they are still different from each other, but in terms of the filmmaking and vision, it's all kind of the same. Um, and yeah, it's, and talking about like my favorites and, and why I like certain ones more than others. And uh, I think it's going to be really fun. I'm going to be calling it The Road to Reckoning. And if you want to follow the journey, go on Letterboxd and um, just go to my uh, go to my diary, go to my uh, my films, and you'll still you'll see the beginning of my road to reckoning journey with Mission Impossible from uh, 1996. And I had thought I'd seen this film before, and I think I had seen this film before actually. I think I watched it on um on a cable network back in uh, when I was a kid in Australia. I think it was on Channel Nine. I think it was. And I watched it with my dad. And it's been a really, really long time since I saw this. And I was just like, oh, I, you know, it's, yeah, it's got the, um, the Langley sequence. But other than that, like it's, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's the first entry. It's not as exciting as the other ones. Uh, wrong. Fucking wrong. <laughs> Kick that little boy in the head. I wouldn't. Um, I was so blown away by this movie. And I cannot believe on my official letterbox list how low I'd put it. Because it's a blast from start to finish. Um, and because I think I've seen a few Brian De Palma films now, I understand his style and um, how much how playful he can be with his filmmaking and his directing. And the way he directs this movie is so, so cool. Um, the lighting, the angles, the split doctors, uh, the particular scene in the aquarium where... Uh, Ethan is talking to Kittredge and look, it's crazy with Dutch angles, but like, man, you can't help but get excited during that scene. And, you know, I'd be like, oh shit. Especially when Ethan starts naming all the people that he saw at the party. And um, Kittredge is like, you know, he's like, I've never seen this upset, Ethan. It's like, you don't want to see me very upset, uh, Kittredge. And, oh man, I love, great scene. Love that scene. You know, it plays like an action film that does all the right things and, and hits all the beats, but it's also dripping in so much, thanks to the Palmer, and so much style and filled with so many creative choices. And I really don't think these sequences would have been as interesting if we didn't get a vision as playful as uh, Brian De Palma. I mentioned the aquarium scene, but my favorite scene of the, of the film and one of my favorite scenes of the entire series is the scene where Ethan meets up with uh, Phelps um, after um, he think he's thinking he's dead and there is in London and they th- and they sit down to um, pretty much say that Kittredge is behind all of these killings and Kittredge is behind this whole plot. And Ethan has already figured out that Jim Phelps is the one that has done all this, is behind all this. But Jim doesn't know that Ethan knows and Ethan has to play along as if Jim thinks Ethan thinks it's Kittredge so then Ethan has to play out a scenario in his head where it's Jim that's doing the killings while using Kittredge's name in front of uh, Jim. I keep saying Jim, Jim Phelps. It's the same fucking person. It's John Voight. <laughs> and that is all tense and exciting on its own. But we get to see all of this play out thanks to De Palma and using Ethan's character POV and placing us inside his head and seeing Jim carry all this out. But this whole time, Ethan is using Kittredge's name, which is, again, it's just interesting. And it all, it all plays into this kind of like this spy espionage theme and 
you know style of this uh of 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 this story and and uh, of this film i'm going to be carried away sorry <laughs> um we know it's jim too because we are again we're in even's head we're seeing its pov we're seeing it all play out and it's just like masterful stuff and i i i couldn't help but like just just be so blown away by that and and uh just absolutely just be like wow that is that was that was awesome. <laughs> Look, I I still have no idea how Ethan figures out that it's Phelps from a stamp in a Bible when he goes to the Drake Hotel in Chicago. Um, but I also just don't I don't question it anymore because I just love that scene and you know the Langley scene. We didn't even talk about the Langley scene because you know about it. You know about the Langley scene. It's one of the best scenes of tension I've ever seen in a film, in an action film especially, and one of the best scenes of the entire franchise. And what I noticed this time around was the complete lack of sound and sound design and how it is utilized to build tension and create more of a threat to Ethan and the team um, with uh, that CIA agent. Yeah. Younger me is a dickhead. Uh, this movie's fucking awesome. And I love it. And uh, yeah, I will be saying a favorite scene at the end of these as well. And I think you know what my favorite scene was because I just talked about it. Uh, that's Mission Impossible 1. I love it. I think it's great. It's just crazy that like most of these movies are so good that it's hard to rank them. So uh, yeah, but I know where I can definitely rank the next film, uh, the next entry in this franchise, which is Mission Impossible 2, directed by John Woo. And yeah, I'd probably rank this one last. But that being said, this is still a pretty interesting movie it's i don't think it's boring some parts a little bit boring but i still got through it pretty fine um and i thought i'd always hated this but and uh it turns out now that again now i'm more into filmmaking now i'm appreciating more directors and 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 much would much rather prefer a vision from a director instead of getting something so flat and boring like we get some like homogenized shit from the mcu for example i much prefer stuff like this and with most Mission Impossible films, this one definitely has that unique style. It's directed by John Woo, so you're going to get a lot of slow motion. You're going to get a lot over-the-top melodrama. And you're going to get some fucking birds. Um, if you love all that shit, this is your movie. Um, there's one particular scene where Ethan is taking out some guards, which I thought was just so over-the-fucking-top and amazing. And if you love that shit, you will love that scene. So that all been said, I don't think this is a bad film. I don't think this is a bad movie. But the one thing that I don't like about the movie is Ethan's character. And I know it's a strange grab to have because we're only two movies into this franchise and uh, it'd be weird to be say like, like, no, I know Ethan's character by now. Like, this is what he should be. But really, yeah, like he was already established in that first film of being such, you know, a measured, smart altruistic and he always put the mission first and always thought about his team there's that great scene in the first one where um krieger goes to kill that guard with the uh or that that agent with the knife and ethan slams his hand against the door and says like you know we don't we don't do that we don't do that that's uh, we don't kill people and that really paints ethan as as that uh you know he's established as you know a particular kind of person and in this movie, he's just completely different. He's just like this playboy douchebag that will, you know, fuck thieves, don't care about the mission, be like, I'm on vacation, don't find me. <laughs> like this. He was just a cockhead. He was just, I just, he just came off as a fucking cockhead to me in, uh, in the movie. And I didn't really care about him as much as I did in the first one. And as much as I do in these later entries, especially in three, um, with when he uh, has Julia. I don't care about him as much, and um, I don't really like Tom Cruise, as as a, a matter of fact, when it comes to this movie. Um, because he doesn't feel like Ethan Hunt. He feels like James Bond. He feels like John Woo or Tom Cruise was trying to do something about, let's be like a more of a suave character. Let's be more of, you know, because that's, again, when we look at the, in the context of the entire series... That's not what Ethan Hunt is. That's not who Ethan Hunt is. And I think that'd be a diff, an interesting thing to di- um, kind of analyze and digest a little bit. That who is Ethan Hunt? What is what is his mission? What are his wants? What are his needs? And um, you know, really, who is Ethan Hunt at the end of the day? 
he is a smart, he's a measured person at the in the first movie. But then when you get to the other movies, you could say this man's just a psychopath. <laughs> like he would just put his body on the line for everything. I think I think it'd be fun and interesting to answer that question uh, throughout the series. Who is Ethan? Who is the MIF as as well? Like um, it'd be cool to get into all of that. But look, this movie's not a bad movie, um, but it's not really a good movie either. <laughs> so. Um, that's all I have to say about Mission Impossible 2. I will say the motorcycle jazz is fucking awesome. And the last scene uh, between um, Sean Ambrose and uh, the villain of the film and Ethan is awesome. Like, the, the kicking up with a knife, man. Like, come on. If Even if you don't like this type of style, you would at least have to be like, holy shit. <laughs> like, yes! When he's kicking that knife up and then, like, kills uh, Ambrose. I mean, does he kill him? I think he kills him, right? Um... But what I will be doing is I'll be calling this Mission Difficult from now on um, because uh, Anthony Hopkins had given me his blessing for that one. Uh, because it, you know, you have that great line where it's like, this is not Mission Difficult, uh, it, Hunt. This is Mission Impossible. I was like, okay, all right. <laughs> this film's having its fun, but I think mean, there's a little bit too much fun, you know? Uh, so, yeah. Not a bad film, but also not a great film. Probably my least favorite of the uh, of the franchise when it comes to the Mission Impossible films. And uh, the next week, the next podcast, I'll be talking about Mission Impossible 3 and one of my favorites, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. So stay tuned for more of my thoughts with Mission Impossible franchise when we get to Dead Reckoning Part 1. But uh, everyone... Thank you for listening. That's going to wrap it up for uh, this episode of the podcast. Um, you're good to be back. Good to be back talking about movies again. Go watch Cross the Spider-Verse. Watch Mission Impossible. Get into that. Even if you haven't seen these films before, get into it. Get into it. It's so fun. It's such a fun franchise to get into. Um, as well as, you know, as much as the Fast and Furious franchises to get into as well, I think Mission Impossible is a great franchise to have some fun with, especially when you start getting to, like, films like Rogue Nation and Fallout. Like, I think Fallout's honestly one of the best action films ever made. But we'll be talking about Fallout in these coming weeks. And more uh, Ethan Hunt and the IMF in these couple of we- in these uh, coming weeks. So, yeah, that's gonna do it. Uh, go follow me on the socials. I'm on Letterboxd. You can check out the uh, the Instagram page as well. Um, I'll be talking about um, more about and diving more into uh, the Mission Impossible journey I'm going on the uh, the road to reckoning. And uh, yeah, do all that. Ask me some questions. Get in touch with me if you want to. Um, next week also, I'll be bringing back the, uh, what I've been watching thing. And in terms of the videos on YouTube, the June, what I watched, uh, will be, is getting worked on at the moment. I watched a lot of stuff in June. I've been watching a lot of stuff. Um, I'm watching the bear at the moment, season two, and it's really fucking good. Um, hope you are too. Hope you're enjoying that as well. I'm going to go watch more of the bear now. So thank you for giving me your time, hanging out with me, watch movies, Watch good movies, don't watch The Flash, and uh, I'll talk to you next time. Stay safe.